I invite you to turn uh, with me to Psalm 112, and, and I believe I will read the the last verse of Psalm 111, and then we'll read um, our text, uh, Psalm Psalm 112. Psalm 111, uh, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is uh, the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Again, bow in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you uh, be within us and work uh, through word uh, to get to um, our hearts, uh, to be our teacher, to raise our eyes from the mundane things of this world, to elevate our expectation from what we naturally come to expect of our own, of our own selves, and let our view of you be enhanced even as we see your glory today. Amen. Uh, poetry helps us to see and to experience life more vividly. We use phrases like this uh, from the um, from the Song of Solomon: uh, "You are as fragrant uh, as a garden fountain." Uh, we might say, may say something like this as well: "Your teeth are like a flock of lambs." And as we make that compliment, we trust that the lambs are lined up straight. I, I love the, the short little poem by Carl Sandburg. It goes something like it goes like this: The fog comes in, uh, or the fog comes on little cat feet. It sits 
looking over harbor and city on silent haunches, and then moves on. You, you hear that poetry, and you can see the harbor, and you can see the fog coming in like a cat. It's a beautiful thing to help us see life more vividly. And what we're going to look at today is mostly Psalm 112, but with a little bit of understanding about Psalm 111. Psalm 111 is a, is a psalm about God. It is a picture of God, and Psalm 112 describes the righteous man, and you could put it this way, that God fears our God-like. How's that? God fears like God himself. The form of the Psalms make it clear that these Psalms are to be taken together. Each of, they are acrostic Psalms. They are twins. Each one of them 22 lines long. Each one of them beginning with the next, the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, and Dalit, and so forth. The form tells us that we're talking about things that are to be thought about together, and the content is almost breathtaking. Let this wash over you. Look with me at verse 3, uh, the second part of it. And his righteousness endures forever. Exactly what Psalm 111.3 says about God. His righteousness endures forever. And the next verse, verse 4. He, he is gracious, merciful, Identical to what Psalm 1, uh, 111 verse 4 says, except for this psalm, this psalm adds the word righteous. The man who fears God is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Jesus certainly is the righteous man who is fully godlike, but if you are a Christian, if you are one who has come to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been connected to him, he in you, and the Holy Spirit is making you more and more like him, becoming um, gracious, merciful, and righteous. As I think about these, the, the gospel, the good news of what God has done to us and for us in Jesus Christ is truly better than we can fully grasp. That through the Spirit, we are a mirror, we are a reflection of God himself. That God fears are becoming more and more God-like. Wonderful. We need to hear that. The Spirit is at work in us. Second thing I want to point out by way of introduction here has to do with the fear of God. I, I read the last verse of Psalm 1, uh, 111. Uh, it describes, it says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Those who practice it have good understanding. It ends with this verse on fear, just in describing the person and work of God, but it ends with this verse on fear, and then it, it is a great introduction to Psalm 112, as we see, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Now, that word fear can be a little off-putting to us sometimes. And part of the reason there is because it, it, 
there are shades of meaning that we have to unfold a little bit to order to understand it is not it is not being terrified of our Father. It is not that. In fact, we read in Isaiah, who, who is describing the, com- uh, the coming uh, uh, Messiah, and, and there is an amazingly good kind of fear uh, that the, the, the writer is, is uh, describing there. Let me read so, um, Isaiah 11, verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. this. Where the Spirit is on the Savior, on the Messiah, in us as well, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is referring to our Savior. His delight, the delight of Jesus, the Messiah, will be in the fear of the Lord. Now, Thomas Boston, I think, helps us to distinguish well between two kinds of fear that we can get confused. Thomas Boston says this, Slavish fear dreads nothing but hell and punishment. Filial fear, that is the fear of a child for a father. Filial fear dreads sin itself. One is mixed with hatred of God, the other with love for him. One looks on him as a revenging judge, the other as a holy father, to whose holiness the heart is reconciled and the soul longs to be conformed. There is a kind of fear of God, this filial fear, where we marvel at his goodness. There is a trembling before him at his goodness, and the Spirit is working in us a desire to be like him. And so we read in in verse 1 of our text, Praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. The man of God, the woman of God, as we're going to look at this psalm and and unpack it together. Three parts to it I want want you to get a hold of today. One of them is that you are favored. And because you are favored, you live faithfully. And you are also fruitful. You are favored, you live faithfully, and you are fruitful. Fruitful. First point then, we see this in verses 2 and 3, that never, never forget that you are favored. Never forget that you are favored. Uh, God showed favor uh, in material ways in the Old Testament times. Oftentimes by a large family, and frequently by having a great deal of wealth. And Job, of course, is the greatest example of that. He is described as the greatest of all in the East. He was a man to be reckoned with. He was a man of great, great uh, wealth. Uh, certainly would have been on Forbes' most, uh, very at the top of Forbes' most wealthy list. He had an impressive family. He had flocks and herds and lands and servants. He had ten children, first time around. 
All of these things are descriptions, really, of what the Lord is, is saying here in verses 2 and 3. Mighty in the land, generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Jacques Ellul, a French theologian, is the first that I at least read that explains that in the Old Testament, wealth is often considered in a sacramental way. A sacramental way. That is, it represents, it stands for something else. And wealth, in this psalm, clearly stands for having God's favor. And for us, the blessings of God, the favor of God, may certainly include a family, even a large family. It may include wealth. But it may not. The blessings from the, Old Test- from the New Testament point of view in which we live are are, are, are radically and powerfully spiritual. We are saved, Ephesians 1 says, according to the riches of His grace. And just for a moment, we've already prayed about it today, it's so wonderful, but that multifaceted crown of our salvation that uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord chose us and then He called us and then, and then He justified us. He has forgiven our sins and then adopted us into His family. This is the wealth that we have And more is coming, but this is the great wealth that we have just now. In you there is forgiveness, the psalmist says. In you, in the Lord, there is forgiveness. Therefore you may be feared. We fear God for his goodness and his forgiveness. You have the Father's love as children. You have the groom's love as spouse. One writer put it this way. um, We, as his children, are exquisitely fearful in our adoration of the Redeemer. Exquisitely fearful in adoration. Never forget that you are favored. And, And yet, of course, in our experience, there is darkness. Light is not what we have expected, perhaps. There may be sadness that you're experiencing right now that you never saw coming your way. There may be pain that you're going through, either physically or emotionally, that perhaps only you and maybe one or two other people are even aware of. There is darkness in our world. And yet we are stunned to be able to see in verse 4 that the one, for the one who fears God, he favors you with glimpses of the coming new day. What is that about? Light dawns in the darkness for the upright, verse 4a. That is, we can see the first rays of sunshine over the horizon in the morning. It's dark. The sky begins to lighten up and then there is a flash of light that comes and, and fills, fills the environment there. And in the darkest morning, we see eternity's glorious light peeking through. Do you hear this? No matter how dark the time that you're going through, the Holy Spirit gives glimpses of the light that is to come, to lift your spirits, to carry you along. To make you hope again for that time when Jesus will come and restore you and all of his people and even this creation for his eternal glory. And he gives you glimpses of that light 
even in this moment, that a final and full radiant life is on the way. An event last Sunday night, there was word of a fatal accident that occurred right outside our front door. And if you look at the sign for our church, you'll see on the upper right-hand corner, traveling south, you'll see an indentation. Perhaps even today, the sod is still picked up in certain areas. And an accident, and uh, someone lost their life last Sunday evening, right out front. The, few, the several people that I spoke with were deeply moved by that. Uh, it's an awful thing. It's a picture of what happens in this day and age, what happens in any age. We are, uh, we are um, finding beings and death can be right around the corner. And yet one of you wrote a letter uh, to me that I actually passed on to the elders that was was a glimmer of light in that sad moment. And it was a couple writing to say that they were lost Sunday night because they could not be here to worship. Because what carries them through and what enables them I suspect what enables them to keep their eyes on Jesus through the darkness of this day, what they described as gathering together with God's people, to hear God's word, to sing praises to the Lord, and then that happy family chatter afterwards. Could we say that weekly, morning and evening, we're provided with a glimpse of the light that is coming, and it helps us. My wife mentioned to me um, a while back that uh, she has encountered some who have some of the most difficult times even going to church on a Sunday because of whatever painful experience that might associate with them and different things for different people. But the irony is that the, em- the enemy can keep us from the very place where we need to see that glimmer of light and hope of the days of the day to come to help us through these moments today. Well, as we consider this, the, the favored one, first of all, the favored one, the favored one, is praise to God the major chord of your prayer. Do you know what I mean by major chord? It it is a chord that is buoyant. Um, There is a great harmony there that just sounds right. It's a a vivid, lively chord. And, And our prayers, as God's favorite people, should should really be dominated generally with this kind of buoyancy, a major chord of praise for God's favor. And then your praise can lighten your own dark days as you help and help you look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do so from the position we have of, of, of sinful men and women and boys and girls. And yet the blessedness exceeds the stain of our sin and the abundance of grace is what lifts us up to praise God. 
We see two things, but always, please see two things. We do see the stain of our sin, but let that never, let that brighten, let that brighten the abundance of grace that we see and have from the Lord Jesus. And, and let us then tremble with exquisite fear. Don't forget that you are favored so that you can be faithful. Verses 6 through 8. Bad things do happen. And yet, this passage is saying you know that you are stable. As, as Romans 5 says, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. A grace in which we now stand. The rock is firm. The wind may be great, the waves may be great, but the rock is firm. And do you see yourself standing in grace? Not striving for it, but thriving in it. Do you see yourself? The psalm says you'll never be moved. You're not afraid of bad news. Your heart is firm. Your heart is steady, trusting in the Lord on that firm foundation of his grace. Yes, we're going to hit potholes in this life, and yes, some of them are going to be the size of Florida sinkholes. I get it. But you really need to identify, and I want you to do that this morning, to identify those things that you're afraid of, those things that you fear. Kids. Kids, what, kids, what, are, what are you afraid of? You're growing up in a, in a world that is, I would say, confusing, to put it mildly. And you may very well have a fear that you're just not sure you're going to be able to make it. You're not sure you're going to be able to cut it. You're not sure you're going to be able to fit in. Especially as a Christian, you're not going to fit in. And that's a scary thing. And will anyone love you, truly love you? These are, these are, are frightening things that can grip our souls. Well, three young men were in a foreign land, and they were threatened by a cruel and selfish king. And, and this king uh, threatened uh, to throw anyone in uh, this fiery furnace unless they bowed down and worshipped the king. And of course, these three men uh, did nothing of the kind. They stayed faithful and they were confident because of God's character. And they were convinced, even with that frightening event right in front of them, they were certain that God's eye was upon them. Listen to me. Listen to me. um, Read um, Daniel chapter 3. Um, we are not even going to answer you, Nebuchadnezzar. We, we, we're not going to entertain your demand here. If this be so, we're thrown into the fiery furnace. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Bring the fire on, Nebuchadnezzar. Our God will save us. Do you remember the next three words in the text? Do you remember what they are? But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you 
have set up. You see this righteous, godly fear that we are being called to in the scripture. This righteous and godly fear drives out smaller fears. It drives out little fears. The big fear driving out the little fears. Well, you may want, deeply want, financial ease. But if not, you are still favored. You may want respect from other people. But if not, you are still favored. You might want a pain-free life. Who doesn't? But if not, you are still favored. J.I. Packer put it this way, to know that Nothing happens in God's world apart from God's will. May frighten the godless, but it stabilizes the saints. This heart is firm. This heart is steady, trusting in the Lord. Well, our application for this point, that you, uh, that you because you are favored, that uh, you also can be faithful, a call to faithfulness it's important to challenge the things that we are afraid of. Challenge our fears. What will you, uh, will you turn from fear to faith? That's the question. Better yet, how will you turn from fear to faith? Is the question on, for the next few minutes. How will you turn from fear to faith? Uh, you've heard of the unholy trinity, I suspect. <laughs> uh, theologians, uh, since the apostles, have talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world the flesh, and the devil. Conspiring together, not one separate from the others, but conspiring together to make you doubt God, but also to make you, therefore, afraid and anxious as an individual. And so an important question is, how does the world entice you? Uh, The world entices your heart to desire other things besides God, and you can love basically anything that God has made at times more than you love himself. And you put what we might call a functional trust in a bank account. You might, you might want more than anything else a, repre- a reputation before other people of, of being an, an upstanding citizen, a great Christian. You may trust your, your smarts, your capability, your physical strength. You may trust in some future moment, some future event that is going to make your life stable. If that happens and everything's going to be great. But the enemy interferes your heart's longing and the things that the world offers. Your enemy peddles in deception. Uh, Your your enemy is the author of lies. He is the intimidator and he is the accuser of the brethren. And there we are. In that conspiracy of the world, the flesh and the devil, believing lies and hearing the accusations and living oftentimes with fear. I've said it before, but I couldn't resist Mark Twain's comment. I've been through some horrible things in my life, some of which that have actually happened. (laughs) We can be afraid of things that never are going to happen. Anyway, there's our fear. The question here, and I'm borrowing uh, heavily from Dave Pallison in this, is, is, is what 
important for you to get this. What are the voices that you hear and what are the lies that you believe that create, that contribute to that fear? What are the voices you hear and the lies you believe? Uh, Palestine uh, has, has wisely said that you, in listening to those voices, you are listening to a false prophet. You're listening to a false prophet, prophet who contradicts God's words to you that you are favored. Do you hear that? You're listening to a false prophet who says you are not favored, and then he'll give you a variety of, of, of insinuations and thoughts that come into your mind that you're responsible for. You're all alone. You're not favored. It's all up to you. You don't have what it takes. You are deeply flawed and you won't amount to anything. Those are the things that can bombard us and can create all kinds of context for fear. So the heart is full of fear and anxieties. Well, how do you fight that? Uh, that Pallison encouraged us to do, to do, um, to do one, one thing here. And that is take a 3 by 5 card and, and, and write on one side of the 3 by 5 card lies that you in particular believe. Not what someone else believes, but the things that you find yourself believing that simply aren't true. But they've got a certain hook in your heart and in your mind. These are the voices of the, of the world and the flesh and the devil that you mull over in your mind that sort of feeds anxiety. I'm going to use the example of money this morning. These are, these are messages. They are the false prophecy about, about your insecurity because you don't have maybe all the money that you want. It goes something like this. We won't ever have enough. Uh, I can't care for the children. I, I can't really guarantee my own future. I, I compare myself to other people and I just don't measure up. They get paid more than I do. They have more than I do. And I just can't, I just can't get caught up. And at the bottom of that is, really, I'm all alone, and it's up to me. Right on top of that side of your 3 by 5 card, these words, reject the false prophet. Write down those false prophecies, but right on the top of the card, in big, bold letters, reject the false prophet. And then you don't just try hard not to think about those things. You repent that you have been believing things that aren't true. That you have been listening to lies and you have been blinded by Satan's deception. That you are perhaps not worth God's time. Or whatever the lies happen to be. But then turn the card over, and on this side, write, heed God's word. And I'm just going to pull a number of them uh, out from my own, my, my own experience as I've read the scripture, but also will end with, uh, with Hebrews chapter 13, which relates directly uh, to money. You are favored. You write on your card. You are favored. You are not alone. You are the apple of God's eye. The Lord speaking, I will never leave you or forsake you. And, and what you are doing is, is, is stirring up the ground for your filial fear. 
where you tremble before God and marvel at his goodness. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content. Content there. Those, there are lies that are creating that discontent. Be, uh, be content with what you have. For, he's now, now he's flipping the card over and, and showing what he, God's word, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? Well, that fits a multitude of occasions, doesn't it? The Lord is my helper every day, money or not. If there's another issue, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You are favored. You are therefore able to be faithful. And finally, and more briefly, you will be fruitful. You will be fruitful. When we are fearful, um, we are we are self-absorbed. Um, our world is very small, and and it's like we're living under a shell. It's sort of it's like an eggshell. Maybe you can see through it, but it's an eggshell. It, it, it's transparent, but it, it just fits over your body, and you just stay in there, isolated and fearful and tortured. But when the Spirit enlarges your heart in the fear of God, you remember that you are favored so that you can be faithful and that you will be fruitful. You, are, you remember that you can be God-like in your mercy to others because you are gripped by mercy. These, these words from verse 9 and then back up to verse, uh, verse 5. This is, this is what the righteous man is like. He is fruitful. This is, the, this is the way in which he is fruitful. He distributes freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Verse 5, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with, judge, with justice. Through the gospel, this is a gospel song, and through the gospel... God becomes like man, becoming Jesus, taking our form, taking on our sin, taking on our nature. God becomes like you so that in the death of Jesus, you can become like him, a son of God. And then the giving of the Holy Spirit through time, you become more and more like this God, generous Concerned for the needs of others. You see people in need and, and you respond even as God dealt with you to be kind and, and, and generous in them. You are on the lookout for the lonely, for those who are in need. You, are jo- you find the joyous freedom in giving. That is a God-formed heart. Because you know your favor. You're able to be faithful. And the Spirit is working in you that fruitfulness. And then there's verse 10. The wicked man sees it and he's angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. What a contrast. The end of verse uh, of Psalm um, 11, um, uh, verse, uh, verse 10 there, uh, is a call to the fear of the Lord. And here, um, how bitter it is for those who reject God. For those who would live without fear of God, they have everything in the world to fear when God returns. They've chosen to live without fear now, and they will live with great fear later. But notice also they're angry. What is that about? 
Perhaps they're angry at the poise with which God fears face trouble. And they want to mutter under their breath, get, get real, you're a phony Christian, you're a phony Christian if you're acting that way. Perhaps they, they're angry at the joy with which Christians give and give so generously. You're just showing off what's in it for you. They hate Christianity, they hate Christians, but with an underlying fear that the house of cards is about to topple down. And as Psalm 73 says, they are on a slippery slope, and in a moment they will fall to ruin, they will be destroyed in a moment. Fear God now. And the fear with which you will greet the return of Jesus will be that exquisite, trembling fear, filial fear of a son come home, of a bride seeing her groom, and of being united to the Lord Jesus Christ. So take that gift of grace and never forget it. Never forget that you are favored by God. So there is no circumstance in which you can you, you need be faithless. And the Spirit will produce in you great fruit. Because that's what God does. Let's pray. Increasingly, those who are without fear uh, of what a day may bring and full of good fruit. That's what we want for your glory. And so we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.